Well, good morning. Oh, wow. Try that again. Good morning. That's better. We, Lois and I are really, really privileged to be with you guys this morning, and I don't say that lightly. It's encouraging to, to be in an assembly, to see such life, but to also see you guys living out biblical principles. Um, as discouraging as it is to hear of a sister who is in sin, it is greatly encouraging to see a group of elders actively uh, taking the approach of Matthew 18. I don't know that I've ever seen that uh, uh, in an assembly. Uh, apart, uh, Well, I should say outside of, of our assembly in Liberia because we have actually exercised church discipline. But that's never what you want to do, right? And God has given a, uh, Christ has given us a great formula by which we can ultimately bring someone into reconciliation uh, uh, with the body. And so we will uh, actively be praying for this sister. But I just want you to know that we're encouraged to see an assembly functioning uh, like this. Now, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. And uh, my hope is, is to impart, as the Apostle Peter did to the saints uh, dispersed abroad in Asia, my hope is to impart to you some encouragement, that by some means you would be caused to uh, reevaluate our perspective and our worldview, that ultimately our eyes would be, would be turned towards the eternal perspective, that is, the eternal hope which we have in Christ. And that will, that will be the focus this morning as we look at 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, very quickly, though, I just want to thank you for your prayers and, and for your support for the work in Liberia. Um, you guys have been very much active and very much a part of the ministry in, in Liberia. And I, I want to encourage you by that because this is not uh, uh, the indigenous mission. The, the ministry in Liberia is not a work of Lucas and Lois Richard, nor is it a work of our Liberian co-workers, Alfred and Musu Varney. It is very much the Lord's work. And it's, it's very much a, a body effort. And what I mean by a body effort is, is that we would not be able to be on ground in Liberia doing what we were doing if it were not for the many saints here, back here in America who, who pray, who actively take part in the ministry through prayer and through support. And so I want to thank you, but I also want to encourage you that the gospel is going forward. We have new believers. Uh, uh, we, our church is, is growing. Um, if you read our newsletters, you, you may have heard of uh, the contractor Singbe, Frank Singbe Tawa, um, who got saved as a result of God thwarting our plans, turning everything upside down, and ultimately doing his own thing. I recognize and, and I, I learn every year, I grow in, in my understanding of the providence and sovereignty of God and recognizing that the heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. And so, thank you. Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for praying for our Liberian co-workers. More importantly, thank you for praying for the work of the gospel in Liberia. If you'd like to hear an update or see an update, uh, I do have a PowerPoint and pictures and so on. Um, on Thursday at Boca Raton Bible Chapel, I'll be uh, giving a ministry update or missions update um, if you guys would like to, to join us on Thursday. Um, now, coming to First Peter chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and again we'll begin reading in verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again or has caused us to be born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, that is kept or reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved with various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, which is much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, 
may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, you love. And though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have, been, uh, who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things which angels desire or long to look into. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind and be sober-minded and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to your former lust as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. For as it is written, be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with, precious, with, with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Since you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and endures forever. Because all flesh is like grass, and all the glory of man is as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and its flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel is preached to you. God Bless his word this morning to us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, we recognize that we have a great privilege, a privilege which many before us did not share and did not have. That we who are born again or redeemed and forgiven, who, are, uh, who have the Holy Spirit of promise, can come together and come before you as, as saints holy and blameless before you and offer up our, our sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise, performing, as it were, our priestly duties. We thank you, Father, for your word, the word of, uh, that, it, that lives and endures forever, that word by which we are able to be wise unto salvation, that word which is able to equip us for every good work that we might be fully equipped. We thank you, Father. We thank you that the word of God and the truths and the principles of your word transcend time and culture and apply to us today. And so, Lord, as we approach First Peter chapter one, as we look at this letter of encouragement, I pray that, Father, you would encourage the hearts of your people this morning. I pray that we would be caused to look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are unseen. The things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are unseen are eternal. I pray, Father, that we would be caused to set our eyes on things above where you are and not on things of the earth. That we would not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit wherein is life and peace. Father, I fully recognize and I confess before you that if I speak simply in the wisdom and intellect of men, then it's worth nothing. It is in vain. But Father, if you by your spirit do speak, and apply your word to the hearts of your people this morning, then this time is valuable and is more precious than anything. So, Lord, we thank you. We commend this time to you. And I ask that, 
that your power would be perfected in my weakness. In Jesus' name. As we come to First uh, Peter chapter 1, and uh, we look at this epistle, this, this epistle is very much a letter of encouragement. The Apostle Peter is writing to believers that he refers to as, as pilgrims who are dispersed abroad in, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And he writes to these believers who are beginning to face persecution. They're beginning to endure trial and hardship. And by the way, after this letter is written, they will, be, they will face even more intense persecution. And so the question becomes, if you were, let's say, an apostle, and you were writing to a group of believers who are dispersed abroad, living amongst uh, different cultures, who are, are, are in, having so much influence from the world and are beginning to face persecution and will face even more intense persecution, what would you say to them to encourage them? What, what insight or, 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 or Bible verse or what exactly would you give to believers who are in hardship that would encourage them and give them hope? How would you encourage them? By the way, I, I have to confess that in Liberia, um, Liberians tend to be more animated and, and uh, <laughs> you know, they're quick to send out an amen or a hallelujah. So, But uh, we, we, all, we often uh, times have an open forum on, on our family Bible hour where I ask a question and people actually give answers. What would you give, what would you offer to the saints, to the pilgrims in the dispersion in first century who are facing persecution? How would you encourage them? The answer, my brothers and sisters, is very simply, remind them of the gospel. Not a man-centered gospel. Not a gospel that promises the pie in the sky, health, wealth, and prosperity, God is going to bless your life kind of gospel, which is not a gospel. But rather, give them the pure, unadulterated gospel, which is the good news that God manifested in the flesh, that He endured such at the hands of sinners so that He would be crucified, that He would take our sins upon Himself, that He would, in His own blood, make propitiation for those sins, would die and raise again, and through that resurrection, would give to us eternal life and the promise of a coming kingdom. The hope, not that God will fix this country, nor that He will fix this world, or that He would overthrow a tyrannical government, or any such thing, but that God in His love and in His grace and in His mercy will pour out wrath on a sinful and corrupted and wicked world. He will destroy it, will melt it with fervent heat. The elements themselves will burn. And He will make a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. This is the hope of the Gospel. And not that God is going to make my life better. Surely there are great things that come from being born again. There are, there are temporal benefits and blessings that, that come with the gospel. Please don't misunderstand me. It is a blessing to have joy as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. To have peace that surpasses understanding. To, to be able to come to the God of all comfort and seek grace to help in our time of need. But this is not the end. This is not the focus of the gospel. Because the focus of the gospel is eternal in nature and not temporal. Let me say this again. The focus of the gospel is not temporal in nature. It is what? Eternal. And so this morning as we approach the Apostle Peter's letter of encouragement to the saints in the dispersion, I pray that our focus would, become, would, would be eternal, that, 
if we are bogged down in the things of the world and the cares of the world, that we would be caused to lift up our heads out of the bog and look to the hope, the eternal hope of the gospel. Amen? And so, now, the Apostle Peter, excuse me, refers to these believers as pilgrims. And and some of your translations may say strangers or sojourners. I'm not sure what all the translations do. But he reminds the saints that that their thoughts should often turn to eternal things wherein their hope rests. That those who have been chosen by God are seen as pilgrims, are seen as strangers in this world, as foreigners who are simply passing through. Christians whose citizenship in heaven live in the midst of pagan societies can faithfully walk as pilgrims, as aliens, as sojourners in a foreign land living out their testimony for Christ. Displaced people, this, sorry, displaced people whose thoughts, again, should often turn towards our true home. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there the Lord Jesus Christ. And I forgot to set my time. Okay. I'm really bad about going over, so please forgive me. The Apostle Peter will in chapter 2 and verse 11 say, Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your souls. Brothers and sisters, our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly wait, I hope we eagerly wait from our, for our Savior to come from heaven and to receive us to Himself. In the meantime, we are simply strangers passing through a foreign land. You see, this, this, this message today is, is born out of conviction and correction from the Lord. I just want to preface this and, 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 and let, give you some insight into how the Holy Spirit has been working in me since 2020. You know, at the beginning of 2020, everything was going really great for Lois and I and and for the ministry as a whole. We were seeing God bless. We were seeing God provide. We were seeing people saved. We were baptizing new believers. We were discipling. It was going wonderfully great. And then my wife gets really sick. And the next thing we know, she has a miscarriage. And then we hear COVID is coming and the borders are shutting down. And if you need to get out of Liberia, now's the time to do it. And within four hours, with four hours notice, we jump on a plane. And I think 60 hours later, we end up in Washington state. Back to Louisiana, which is home and ultimately with COVID. And as, as we were going through the whole COVID ordeal, we were quarantining in our, in, in a bedroom and, had the TV on and, and, and was tuned into the news. And I very quickly found my perspective narrowing. And I found myself getting really upset about politics and about current events. Not that it's wrong to have righteous indignation when you see babies being murdered. Please don't get me wrong. But I was becoming so indignant and so stressed out that it became began to take the forefront of my mind and my perspective was not filtered through the lens of scripture but rather through the lens of the news and i can tell you after that experience that stressing out and worrying over current events is going to get you nowhere But one thing I can guarantee you it will do is it will draw you away from the Lord. Make no mistake about it. And the Lord brought me to 1 Peter. And as I was studying and reading in 1 Peter, I began to realize just what the Apostle Peter was reminding the saints in the dispersion in the first century. That is that the hope of the gospel is 
eternal. That our citizenship is not of this world. I am not defined as an American citizen. My hope is not that God will somehow correct the course of this country or that He will bless the United States for the next thousand years or as our, unfortunately, as the pilgrims who came to America believed that this would be the promised land. That God, that we replaced Israel and that all the promises of God are now made to us and that we were going to establish the kingdom of earth, a kingdom of God on earth. And everything was going to so prosper and, and Christianity was going to spread throughout the whole world and, and it would become Christian and Jesus would return to this nice, beautiful, flowery situation. Is that what you see when you read scripture? It is a true statement to say that the, 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 that the American Revolution was born in the pulpits of American churches. But it is also true to say that it was born out of bad theology. Please make no mistake about it. I believe that God raised up this country for a purpose. If for nothing else, missions. We have sent more missionaries out than anyone else. We have been the number one funder of missions for a long time. The gospel has gone all over the world on the feet of American missionaries. So please don't misunderstand me. I see the sovereign purpose of God in this country, but I have no illusion. And please understand this. I have no illusion that the United States will be this wonderful representation of God and of the kingdom of God until Christ returns. In fact, if, if what Scripture says is true... Ultimately, we as a country will either cease to exist or will fade into significance. Our constitution and republic will at some point fail and globalism will prevail, i.e. a one-world government with a one-world leader, with a one-world currency. Are you beginning to hear talks about that in the news? Are you beginning to see globalism in, in the world, in the United States? Absolutely. Because God's word is true. He didn't prophesy so that it would happen this way. He told us beforehand that this is ultimately what's going to happen. And I, I sincerely believe that the purpose of eschatology of prophecy is not to give us a detailed account of exactly how the end times will unfold, but rather to give us the end story. That yes, all of these things will happen. They will come to pass. But God will, Christ will triumph. Jesus will return as the conquering king. He will bring the nations in submission to himself. They will be caused to, to pay homage to the king. They will come up to Jerusalem every year and sacrifice in, in, in paying homage to the Messiah. And if they don't, it won't rain on their country. Satan will be chained for a thousand years, but when he's released, those same nations which are paying homage to the king will rebel. They will be destroyed. Judgment and wrath will be poured out on this earth. But based on his promise, we wait on a new heaven and a new earth which righteousness dwells. And that is my hope. If I've taken nothing out of the pandemic, it is this. That my hope should not wane with the, the ebbs and tides of current events, of politics, of economics. But rather, I should have such a faith in Christ and a hope in Christ that regardless of what happens and regardless of, of which direction the country goes or what happens to my bank account or to our support, God is faithful. And hard times have always meant good things for the people of God. You know, I, 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 I get a glimpse of that in Liberia because for, for believers who come out of Islam, out of that syncretistic, strange, uh, uh, animistic Islam that we face in our village, they do lose their community. Though they are syncretistic and though they are very happy for us to be there and provide education and so on, when one of their own is born again and converts, 
it hits where it hurts. And families are disappointed and the believer loses their community. And for them, life then becomes centered around the local assembly. Where do they go in their time of need? They come to the assembly. Where do they go for counseling, for advice, for encouragement, for fellowship, the local assembly? We have a benevolence fund that cares for for the widows. We have men, a discipleship men's group that plants a farm just so that if believers have a need of food that we can go to the farm and harvest and bring it to them. But that kind of interdependent interdependence upon each other and upon the Lord brings a closer fellowship than anything I've experienced in the Western world. Because here, we are very much compartmentalized. We keep work where work is, we keep home where home is, and we keep church where church is. And there's some exceptions to that. But because we compartmentalize our lives and because we are so economically and financially independent... We don't need each other, right? Unfortunately, our sister can leave this church and she doesn't need you. I mean, she needs you spiritually, but she doesn't need you economically. You get my point. Yes, believers in Liberia suffer things that you and I have never suffered and have never known. But in a way, they're better off than the church in America is. I don't say this to condemn. I say this simply to remind us that the body of Christ, that the church is our community. These are our fellow countrymen. Our citizenship is in heaven and we are strangers and pilgrims. We are foreigners in this land. We are not defined by politics. We are not identified by a political party. We our, we are Christians. And we eagerly wait for the Savior to return. And until that time, our role is simply to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, to represent Him in a foreign land. Is this how you view yourself? Of course, I ask the question and apply it to myself. These last two years for for Lois and I have really been a a changing time in which the Lord has convicted and stretched and, and molded and shaped and refocused our perspective so that regardless of what happens, my blood pressure isn't going up anymore because I have a living hope in Christ. Please, I'm not trying to make myself out to be super spiritual. It's been a long process, and it's still ongoing. The Apostle Peter lays the theological foundation for this letter of encouragement in verse 2. Because we see there that all three persons of the Trinity are mentioned. He says that God the Father in His grace has chosen, chosen us, has chosen them. That God the Spirit has sanctified them through the blood of God the Son. Excuse me. You see all three persons of the Trinity mentioned there? In this way, Peter greets us. He greets his readers with a prayerful wish that they might experience in abundance the peace and the grace that comes with our salvation. And that salvation has been accomplished by the work of the Godhead. And so may grace and peace be multiplied to you. In verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again or has caused us to be born again unto a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Brothers and sisters, the the idea here is, is that the living hope that we have in Christ is based on the resurrection of Christ, i.e., our hope in Christ is as sure and as certain as the fact that Christ lives. Let me say this again. Our hope in Christ 
is as sure and as certain as the fact that Christ is raised from the dead. If Christ lives, so our hope in Christ lives. And it cannot be taken away. Because look what he says. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance which is incorruptible. That is undefiled. Verse 4. And that does not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God. For a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. That is coming, right? The Apostle Paul refers to this hope in Romans chapter 8 and in verse 18 to 25. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption and into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. And not only that, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. To this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see... We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. What hope were we saved? To what hope were we saved? Here he says that he identifies that the hope of the gospel is, is, as I see it, twofold. The redemption of our bodies and the redemption of the creation. To this hope you were saved. The hope of redemption. The redemption of our body that that in a coming day we will shed these bodies of sin and death that are corrupted by sin. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be changed. And what we shall be does not yet appear, but we know that when we see Him, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. We will receive glorified bodies that no longer are corrupted by sin. That means no more disease, no more death, no more sickness, no more dying, no more sadness, no more suffering. To this hope you were saved. The redemption of what? The body? But not only that, the redemption of creation. Creation itself groans with labor pains, with birth pains, waiting for us to receive our redemption. Why? So that ultimately the earth itself will be redeemed. You see what Christ accomplished on the cross through his death and resurrection? Not just the redemption of sinful mankind, but the redemption of a corrupted world. The Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 refers to this again. He says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering. Long suffering toward us. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord, in in 2 Peter 3.10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. 
Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the, earth, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Brothers and sisters, this is the hope of the gospel. It has been the eternal plan of God as we see uh, further down in the chapter that, that the prophets of old who prophesied, who, who, who recorded Scripture as it was breathed out by God, recognized that because of the Spirit of Christ who was in them, that they were not necessarily writing of things concerning themselves, but concerning us. I.e., it has always been the plan of God from eternity past and through each dispensation to ultimately lead up to two major events in world history. The sufferings of Christ, His first coming, and the glories that would follow His second coming. The plan and purpose of God from the time that He set a guard at, at the entrance to the Garden of Eden has always been to redeem His creation. And if you are born again, if indeed your faith and your trust is in Christ alone to save you, then you have been born again to a living hope. A hope which is as sure and as, as factual as the, as the fact that Christ is raised from the dead and lives. To the hope that God will in His just wrath destroy this world, will melt it with fervent heat, it will dissolve and there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which what dwells? Righteousness. I don't know about you, but that sounds much better than anything we could accomplish politically in this country. Paul reminds us of this in Philippians chapter 3. As we saw earlier in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition. Think about this. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject everything to Himself. Brother, you're going to walk again. Physically. Job foresaw this in Job 19, 25-27. He says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last I will stand, He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has thus been destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, and not another, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. The magnitude of this truth caused his heart to faint within him. You see, Job, though he did not have the completed canon of Scripture, somehow understood that God would not leave man in the sinful, corrupted state that he's in. But that after his, his flesh would be destroyed, after he would physically die, there would be a resurrection from the dead that He would again physically stand upon a physical earth in the physical presence of the Savior. You see, what that, what that tells me is, is that the pie-in-the-sky idea that we're going to be floating in the clouds playing a harp has no basis in Scripture. But that the eternal plan of God is ultimately to have a new earth. New heavens and a new earth where God will dwell in, in the midst of His people where there will be no need for the sun that God Himself will provide the light 
where ultimately only righteousness will dwell. And where you and I, who are born again, who have this hope, will physically live in the physical presence of God. Can you imagine that? I don't know what we're going to do on the new earth. Will we tend to garden? I don't know. But I know this. The hope of the gospel is the hope of eternal life. Eternal life in a physical new body that has never known corruption on a physical earth that has never seen sin in the physical presence of of God, whom we shall see for ourselves and not another. But we shall see Him as He is. Isaiah spoke of this in Isaiah 25. And in verse 8, he says, He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord Yahweh will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of His people He will take away from all the earth, for Yahweh has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for Him that He might save us. This is Jehovah. We have waited for Him. Let us be glad and rejoice in His salvation. We are but strangers in this land. We're only passing through. And that God will pour out wrath and judgment on this earth is a fact. But based on His promises, we wait for what? Come on, guys, you can do it. Based on His promises, we wait for new new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You know, in Liberia, the reason that we have open forum and we ask questions is just so that we know you're paying attention. It's a cultural thing, I get it. But here's a question. Which kingdom do you want? In what or in who do you put your hope? If, as our founding fathers, you have the idea that the United States will be the kingdom of God on earth, I'm sorry to tell you, you're going to be sadly disappointed. You're going to be sorely disappointed. Your faith is in politicians who promise you the great things Well, I can promise you it's corruptible. It will fade. It will be taken away. But the hope of the gospel is incorruptible. It is unfading. It cannot be taken away from you. It is guaranteed to you by the Holy Spirit whom you have received as a down payment of your inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That means... It's guaranteed to you until you physically have it in hand. Amen? It's yours. It's a present possession. It is coming. Therefore, look up. Set your hope in this. Now, forgive me, I didn't go through all my notes, but if I could, I would leave you, if I could leave you with one exhortation it would be from verse 13 in verse 13 in 1 Peter 1 Peter says therefore gird up the loins of your mind be sober i.e. be sober minded and rest or set your hope completely fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Where do we set our hope? How much of it do we set there? Verse 13. Set your hope, what? Completely, fully. On what? On the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, i.e., when He comes again. That should be the focus of the believer. Our eyes should be looking to what is coming. That is, the hope of eternal life. 
the Apostle Peter very clearly intended that theology would somehow actually produce hope in us. And this is a point that I I really want to make as I leave you. Lamentations 3, we we often love to to quote um, uh, in verse 23, but if you back up a little bit to Lamentations 3.21, it says, For this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's faithful love, we do not perish, for His mercies never end. They are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. But look at what He said there. For this I call to mind, and therefore I have what? Hope. You see, brothers and sisters, a Christian's joy is independent of his or her circumstances. Our joy is not defined by what is around us. Knowledge alone cannot produce the great joy. Knowledge alone cannot produce the great joy of experiential security from freedom, I mean, and freedom from fear. This is not original to me. Please, please understand. God's omnipotent sovereignty needs to be coupled with faith in His sovereignty. I.e., faith turns sound doctrine into sound practice. Faith turns sound doctrine into sound practice. Faith acts on the content of theology and produces conduct that corresponds to that content. Let me say this again. Faith acts on the content of theology and produces conduct that corresponds to that content. What that means is, is that if my faith is in the living hope of the gospel, which is eternal, then it should produce in me a living hope. It's one thing to know in-time prophecy. It's one thing to study in-time prophecy. It is another thing to trust, to have faith and hope in the eternal plans and purposes of God. For this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. If you are reading Scripture and you are seeing such wonderful truths and learning such wonderful theology, and it's not producing hope, then I want to question where your faith is. Because real faith produces real hope which produces real works. Faith without works is what? In this case, let's simply believe what God has already said and let it produce hope in you. And don't be distracted by the things of the world, brothers and sisters. Don't be like me. Because I can tell you that to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded, it's life. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that our joy as a Christian is independent of our circumstances. I thank you, Father, that regardless of what happens in this country and what happens in this world, it does not change the truth of your word. It does not in any way take away from the hope of the gospel. Father, I thank you that you have given us some insight into the future so that we might know that you will ultimately prevail. That you will pour out wrath and bring justice to an unjust and wicked and sinful world. That you will with great heat melt the elements and dissolve the earth. And that based on your promises, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Father, thank You. Thank You that we have been born again to this hope. That You have caused us to be born again unto this hope. I thank You that this hope is as 
sure as the fact that you live. Lord, I pray. I pray for each and one of my brothers and sisters, and I pray for myself this morning, that as we would leave from here, as we would tune into the news or listen to current events, that our faith would not wane, that our hope would not be set aside, but that our, purpose, our, our, our perspective would be reset to eternal things. Father, I pray that you would help us to be a people who are able to persevere in faith, and in hope. A people who are not easily distracted nor easily discouraged. Who, though we might face trial or persecution, would endure it with joy and with patience, knowing that our faith, which is more precious than gold, though it is tested by fire, will result to the praise, glory, and honor that you're coming. Lord, I pray that we would call these truths to mind and therefore have hope. Father, we do pray for our country. We do ask for a reprieve. We pray, Lord, that, that you would turn things around, that you would give wisdom to our leaders, that there would be revival in our country again. But, Father, we are not so naive as to think that we know your, your will in this situation. So arrogant to think that we know your will in this situation. So, Father, regardless of what your plan is for the United States, I pray that we would not be wavered. I pray that our focus would continue to be eternal, that we would identify ourselves as citizens of heaven, as ambassadors of Christ, and that we would not be discouraged at the direction of our country. So, Lord, we pray, nevertheless, not as we will, but as you will. So, Lord, as we depart from here, I pray that our hearts would be encouraged that we would be reminded of the eternal truths of the gospel and that we would live out our faith in the midst of a wicked and sinful world. We thank you, Father. We do pray for our sister who is actively in sin, it seems. We, we pray, Father, that you would honor the approach which you have given in Matthew 18. I pray, Father, that you would bless the efforts that have already been made to seek reconciliation and to to seek out repentance. I, I pray, Father, that as we go to this, this third step, that you would encourage the believers, give, give the believers wisdom in how to approach this sister. And I pray, I pray, Father, that it would not have to result in church discipline. We do pray that you would bring our sister to repentance, and that you would enable this assembly to encourage her and welcome her back in love. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ, for the community which we have in Christ. We thank you for the privilege that is ours to be members, one of another, members of your church. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.